Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of the People, Places, Planet Podcast. My name is Georgia Ray, and I am your host. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by three guests. They are all former or current ambassadors as part of the Louisiana 4-H Wetland Ambassadors team. As 4-H members, they were selected to be part of a cohort of youth leaders working to bring awareness to the state's wetlands and the threats they face. Current members are in high school statewide, and they spend the year developing coastal and environmental literacy and professional skills as they give presentations, lead activities, and exhibit at major events in their communities and the state. Since 2019, the Wetland Ambassadors have reached over 8,225 people and conducted over 40 outreach activities and events. Additionally, several alums have gone on to study or maintain activities within wetlands conservation. Approximately a quarter of all ambassadors have gone on to major in a related area of study or are still involved with volunteer and advocacy activities while in college. We are releasing this episode ahead of the National Wetlands Awards, a ceremony that will take place in Washington, D.C. on May 16th. This award is one ELI is proud to confer on six winners each year. And one of those six winners is a Youth Leadership Awardee. You will hear more from this year's Youth Leadership winner in another episode. Today is a great moment to celebrate youth involvement in wetland protection and conservation more generally. With that in mind, I'm speaking with two alums of the Wetland Ambassador Program, Isabel Dean and Bridget Seekers, and one current ambassador, Branson Malanson. We are going to do things a little differently for this episode. Rather than giving you each of their bios at the top here, I'm going to give them to you right before each speak for the first time so you can better associate their names and bios with their voices. With that in mind, let's get into it. Isabel, Bridget, and Branson, thank you for joining me today. Let's start by talking about Louisiana. You're each from Louisiana and you've chosen to continue your education in the state as well. What makes Louisiana special from a wetlands perspective and how can it serve as a model for the rest of the country? Isabel is going to answer this question first. She is a freshman at Louisiana State University, majoring in applied coastal environmental science with a minor in mass communications. During high school, she participated in various wetland education opportunities, including marsh maneuvers and advanced marsh maneuvers. And of course, as a Louisiana 4-H wetland ambassador. Also while in high school, she dedicated an entire magazine project for her English class to the deteriorating coastline of the Gulf, researching the forces driving Louisiana into a murky future. She has also been interviewed by Ag Daily and the National 4-H Council about these issues. Let's hear what she has to say. For me, I think what makes Louisiana so special from Wetlands perspective is its situation for the United States because it's where the Mississippi River meets the Gulf of Mexico it's really at a melting pot for just everything from culture to ecosystems. And because of all the swamps and marshes and wetlands that our state is home to, it just overall makes a beautiful ecosystem that the rest of the country can model after. Next, we are going to hear from Branson. Branson is a two-year member of the Louisiana Wetland Ambassador Team. He grew up on a rice and crawfish farm in southwest Louisiana. He loves to hunt and fish in Louisiana's wetlands, and next year, he will be attending LSU, studying renewable natural resource and ecology management. 
Currently, he is working with the Southwest region to put on a wetland camp called the Wonder of Wetlands. The camp is for seventh and eighth graders and will feature activities like fishing, nature hikes, and invasive species removal. He'll talk about that camp a little later, but first let's hear how he got introduced to wetlands work in the first place. Kind of jumping off what Isabel said with the cultural aspect of it, what makes you Louisiana very unique is the fact that like many other cultures around the country and around the world, they didn't automatically jump into draining the wetlands. They lived in them first. The draining came later as agriculture started to develop. So the fact that we have cultures built around a reliance on these wetlands is very, very unique. And lastly, we have Bridget. Bridget is currently a junior at Louisiana State University. She was born and raised in southeastern Louisiana and got involved in environmental advocacy after attending Marsh Maneuvers in 2016. She served on the first wetland ambassadors team, allowing her to perform outreach activities across the state and deepen her understanding of Louisiana's wetlands. In college, she has embarked on a number of environmental projects, including removing litter from waterways, raising awareness for endangered species, and conducting research on invasive carp fish. Bridget believes that environmental outreach and service are crucial in connecting Louisianans to their environment. In the future, she would like to join the public service and develop global health programs. Let's bring it full circle from hearing about her goals for her future to her early introduction to the space. Right. And I think that there's just something very special about how we culturally connect to our wetlands, not only from the historical standpoint of our economies and our homes being in wetlands, but also just like culturally, food-wise, music-wise, the art and culture that comes out of South Louisiana is just incredible and travels up to North Louisiana, of course, too. Yes. And I love hearing you talk about the state that you call home with such passion. And each of you talk with really a lot of poise, especially given your youth. So, you know, for those listeners that might not know, you are young. You're in you're in college and high school. So how did you each get involved with wetlands work at such an early age? For me, I've always loved the outdoors and just being in nature and just any time that I'm outside, I feel at home. And so I really got involved with wetlands more so in high school rather than rather when I was really little, just because I didn't grow up in a swamp or anything. I grew up in the suburbs. But every time I went to the lake or anything, I was just so entranced by all of the animals and plants that called that area home. And so when I was given the opportunity in high school to go to a bunch of different wetland outreach programs and camps, I was just so fascinated. And that's really what got my passion started. Yeah, similarly, I attended a wetlands camp before I went to high school. So in 2016, I attended Marsh Maneuvers, which we'll probably talk about later. And that camp really showed me that, you know, it was it's up to anyone who wants to step up to the plate to do something about the land loss our state's experiencing. And then in 2019, the wetland ambassador team was formed. And so that kind of began my formal avenue into getting into outreach. And just in between those times, I saw myself seeking out other other opportunities like contests that had to do with wildlife habitat and just any speaking opportunities. I'd give talks on endangered species. Sometimes if, if the infrastructure for like Consistent involvement wasn't there. 4-H is really good about like opening up those opportunities. So until the Wetland Ambassador team was created, I was just kind of just making stuff up as I go. And then when the team formed, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is kind of what I've been missing and what I've been wanting to do for a while now. I really grew up 
around the wetlands. I never really understood their importance outside. I knew that's where I like to go fishing. That's where I like to go duck hunting. So when I found out about the opportunity of the wetland ambassador team, I was really joined because, oh, I thought it was going to be kind of connected to that. But when I got in, I it really opened my eyes to what, what the importance of all of this. And I just fell in love with it instantly. Yeah. And Branson, I'd love to stay with you for a moment. You are the youngest participant on this podcast. Why is it so important to have youth leadership in this wetland space? And what are you doing to inspire the next generation of youth leaders? So as far as keeping youth involved, I mean, we're going to be the next generation coming in to be, whether that be policymakers or just general activists. It's important that we know these things and know they're important so that we can allot our time and give care to them. As far as helping inspire the next generation, well, I personally love sharing everything I learn. I make a general effort to teach an elementary age because that's such an important time where kids are learning everything. So if you can teach them, then this makes this it triggers the same process and they start thinking about these things and wondering what could be possible. Why should we care about how much land we're losing in Louisiana? Why should we care about the connection to wetlands with the shipping industry or oil and gas or just cultural significance. It's just a matter of starting that own process because when you start it at that point, it, it kind of takes over itself. So another way that I'm helping inspire the next generation of youth leaders is that I'm actually working on a camp right now in partnership with the Southwest region. Uh, the camp is designed to, um, to help educate and give hands-on education to seventh and eighth graders in the 13 parish group that's known as the Southwest region. Through this, kids will actively get to do things like help remove invasive species and help beautify um, one of our state parks, which I believe is going to be a very, very good opportunity for these kids and help build the interest, further possibly their interests and knowledge about the region they live in and, and how what they can actively do right now to help and what they might be able to do in the future. So I'm really excited for that coming up. Yeah. And you touched on something there that I think is maybe not well understood. And that's the connection between our shrinking coastlines and wetlands. So Isabel, I know you researched and wrote about Louisiana shrinking coastlines in high school for, for an English class. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you learned and how that research has shaped your wetlands-based advocacy work? Yeah, of course. So for my AP English class junior year, we were given the assignment to create a magazine over the topic of our choosing. And at that time, I was really narrowing it into what I was passionate about, which is wetland conservation. And so kind of what I researched was just everything from the causes and effects of why Louisiana's coastline is disappearing and why many people don't even realize it. And so there's so many causes to wetland deterioration, everything from sea level rise and subsidence to canals, and then even everything from invasive species to the oil and gas industry. And it's just crazy to think about that, how these wetlands are so important, but at the same time, people refuse to honor and value and cherish the moments that these wetlands provide. I use that magazine project to kind of just spread awareness 
for not just the kids in my classroom or my teacher, but to kind of build off of that for how passionate I am about focusing on mitigation of wetlands and our coastline, because they do provide so many important facets to Louisiana and the country. And what are some of those important facets? There's so many. It's hard to highlight on just a few. But everything from the shrimp and fishing industries to how Bridget was saying people build their homes in these wetlands and just all the plant animal species that call these ecosystems home. Bridget, I'd love to turn to you. When we spoke in preparation for this podcast, you said something really striking. You said, you know, wetlands advocacy and outreach works because you yourself are a product of wetlands outreach. What do you mean by that? Like Isabel, I grew up in kind of a suburban, tiny area. I could have chosen and my family could have chosen to just be ignorant to any of the environmental goings-ons and happenings around us and in our state. But one of my earliest memories is my mama taking me to this event that was hosted at our, our national wildlife refuge nearby our house. And I remember walking around with my face painted like an alligator and and doing all these activities that showed you how how bird speaks work and how people ha- like fish and how people go out in kayaks and collect trash that way. And just being a little kid, it was so thrilling. And it just kind of introduced me to the mysticism of our environment. And it got me curious and it got me engaged. And so as I grew up, I think that curiosity just stayed with me and 4-H and marsh maneuvers and other opportunities showed me that there's a role for leadership and youth leadership in this wetlands work that we do. I think going from participant to leader is a slow and ever-evolving relationship. I'm very much still a learner and a listener and a participant for a lot of topics in the environmental world, but I, I really always crave and I'm very rewarded by the opportunity to just be an ambassador for my state and to just share my testimony of living here and the changes I've witnessed in my state. Bridget, you were just talking about some of the wetlands education and outreach that reached you. And we mentioned at the top of the episode, marsh maneuvers. This is something that, correct me if I'm wrong, all three of you were involved in. Could one of you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, for sure. Marsh maneuvers was probably one of my most favorite experiences that 4-H offered me. I was a member of 4-H for nine years. And in those nine years, marsh maneuvers and all that the wetland like advocacy programs that were offered just drove me to my passions. I love how Bridget put it that in like these programs, we were the learners and now we're becoming the leaders. Marsh Maneuvers, it's run by some of the most amazing people, Mark Shirley and Catherine Fox and all their contributions, as well as Louisiana Sea Grant and OSU Ag Center. Over 1,800 youth have participated in Marsh Maneuvers, and I'm so glad that I can call myself one of those people. It's held almost every summer, and this upcoming will be the 34th session. And so Marsh Maneuvers, kind of in a nutshell, is a coastal education summer camp for high school 4-Hers. And so every summer, there's week-long camps, and it is some of the most thrilling and exciting moments a high school student can experience. The in-depth and hands-on opportunities and experiences that you're offered in this one short week are some of the moments I will cherish forever. We did everything from planting marsh grass next to Avery Island and literally getting to see ourselves and other students 
build up these wetlands is just amazing to see learning everything from whooping cranes to invasive species and how so many different programs are working towards conservation that even led us into all three of us being wetland ambassadors in some of the most incredible moments. You've continued to carry out this work as wetland ambassadors and afterwards raising awareness. So can you tell me more about how that raising awareness has been received? What kind of issues do you talk about and how do communities respond? Yeah, so on the wetland ambassador team, we focus our activities on stressing the importance of our wetlands. So their function, their role in our lives. We're usually giving these outreach events to fellow Louisianans. So it's all about just educating people on what's around them and what's going on that they might not know about. So for example, we might have an activity for kids that teaches them about alligator egg nests and how some of those eggs are collected are used for conservation purposes. So we've also been leading community conversations and that involves gauging public attitudes about wetlands and just kind of building the ability to have those community dialogues about climate resilience and what goes on in our backyards, but more focused on the local scale. And so as wetland ambassadors, we're the best people to reach our communities sometimes and to form these conversations. Yeah, Bridget, thank you for that overview. It's really interesting to know what exactly you all are talking about. And I, I completely agree with you that it's better to have somebody from within a community go and talk to their own community members. But I know, I'm sure as many of our listeners do, that it doesn't always go perfectly to plan. And there are community members who are resistant to these ideas and maybe resistant to the idea of how important wetlands are. Could one of you talk through how you approach community members who respond that way? Yeah. So it goes without saying, kind of like you said, that some people will deny the fact that there's any problems. And it's hard to balance those negative reactions with wanting to just passionately exclaim like, no, the wetlands are disappearing. You have to understand this is so important. And I feel like I know probably just not for me, but every time that I go out and talk to communities or talk to my friends or family and they ask like, why are you so interested in all this? Like, we don't live by the coast. We live four hours away. We live in the suburbs. We don't even live near a lake. Why should I care? And I feel like as wetland ambassadors and as college students and just for the future, it goes without saying that we need to express more about how important wetlands can be, not just if you live on or near one, but the processes and functions that wetlands provide people and communities and species, they go far beyond the bounds of just the edge of a swamp. They flow into the culture and communities and these negative reactions that some communities respond with, you just have to convince them and show them and teach them how important wetlands are. On the other side of that coin, I'm sure there's people you talk to that do respond well and are aware of these issues. How do those conversations go? So yeah, they're very interesting in the fact that here in Louisiana, there's a general knowledge of that, yes, the wetlands are in danger, we're losing coastline, we need to protect them. And that exists here in Louisiana. But when a wetland ambassador or any other advocate can go in and put statistics to this, it really changes the point of view and helps connect all the dots together. So like someone can go in and connect the dot by saying, yes, Louisiana is losing approximately a football field every 100 minutes. And since 1935, 
we have lost over 2,000 square miles of land here in Louisiana. And that's approximately the size of the state of Delaware. So when you can connect those together, it kind of ch changes something inside of a person, bringing all that information together, helping them understand it. And what you see is people tend to care a little bit more about this and want to advocate with you or even just, I mean, something as simple as contacting their representative and say, this is an issue and I think we should be doing more to take care of it. That's kind of what helps me keep going and wanting to do more of this work as a wetland ambassador, helping raise that awareness and seeing those positive reactions. You make a really good point there and something I'm even experiencing in myself, having listened to you just give those great statistics, which is for even those of us who are plugged in, you might not know the magnitude of the issue and you might not know those hard facts. And so even if people are already aware, you all still play such an important role in giving that additional information. And I'd love to ask, you know, Bridget and Isabel, if either of you have kind of maybe not as hard statistics, or maybe it is hard statistics, but kind of that go-to thing that you would use with somebody who you were trying to explain the importance of wetlands to for the first time that really has a lot of salience. In my conversations that I have with people about why it's important that we conserve our endangered species, I like to point out that at one point we only had one whooping crane in our state, and now we've brought populations back in our state close to around 100 of these cranes that were endangered as a result of our, our doing, our draining of their natural habitat and our poaching of them. So I think I just try to emphasize the importance of what can happen when we actually make the effort to, to do something. We really can have an impact in our state. Human activities do lead to a lot of damage, but they also lead to a lot of progress. Yeah. And for me, kind of like the story that my brain always goes straight to when people are trying to understand the magnitude of land loss is I always talk about these two cities in Louisiana, Plaquemines Parish and Isle de Jean Charles. And for Plaquemines, it's among one of the fastest disappearing places on earth, not even just our country or our state, but on earth. And for Isle de Jean Charles, it's shrunk by 98% since the 1950s. And to me, it's so crazy to think that coastal erosion and land loss have literally almost wiped entire cities off the map. And I feel like that just kind of bounces off of Branson's statistics and how Louisiana is racing towards a murky future because it's disappearing so fast. Well, I can tell you are all great ambassadors because those key points you turn to are really effective talking points and make me think more deeply about the importance of this work. So thank you for sharing it with all of the people you advocate to all the time, as well as our listeners. So Bridget, since being an ambassador, you've completed research on invasive carp. Can you tell me more about this work? Yes. Um, coming into to college, I wanted to get involved in research because research drives a lot of nonprofit interest and policy interest in our state. And academia is a, is a leader in the recommendations that get made. I've been able to get involved in invasive carp. Carp were introduced to the Mississippi River in the 70s to control algal blooms. And now these huge fish are just really overeating and kind of out of control. So the research I'm doing is perfecting like a methodology to analyze their tissues. And so it's pretty technical and a bit niche, but it makes life easier for the researchers that come behind me. 
and it can help us map out food webs um, so we can understand what the carp are eating and doing. And it's been really fun because while I spend most of my time in a lab and clicking through like Excel sheets and data, the conversations I've been able to have are, are just so fun. The fishing community in Louisiana is, is really boisterous and I love chatting with them. And when you say carp, people immediately know what you're talking about. And they have these cool stories of them jumping in the boat. And these are actually really huge fish and they will come climb in your boat. Researchers have a responsibility to effectively communicate their research. And so I like the fact that I can share my research with, with other researchers, with people with PhDs. But I also need to be able to share this researcher with fishermen who I might be helping create an economy for carp fish in our state one day. Brinson, I'd love to turn back to you for a second. You live on a crawfish and rice farm, so you're very much part of the community that may be affected by climate change and land loss. How does that inform your perspective? How does that background make things different for you? That background is actually a big reason why I went into wetland ambassadors and this advocacy, because it's such an important issue to my area. And, and I mean, when you look at where I'm at on a map, I'm 40 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and you might be able to tell someone and someone's going to turn around and tell you that that's really far. You're really affected by land loss and rising sea levels. And I can turn around and say, yes, absolutely. Because as far as the rice industry, we need very, very fresh water for rice to thrive and grow. Same thing with crawfish. And as the coastline shrinks, the saltwater marshes and saltwater regions move further and further inland. And as sea levels rise, that water also continues to move further further inland, whether that's climate change rise or relative sea level rise as the land sinks down beneath the water. And the further north that salt water comes, the more rice fields that are in trouble from this. And kind of building on that, the hurricanes we get down here too. I mean, we had Hurricane Laura and Delta. And that was very devastating to our rice crops. And as, whether it be the winds flattening the rice down on the ground or throwing salt water miles and miles inland on top of our rice fields. In fact, it, it destroyed many, many rice fields. But it was also very interesting to see how the rice farmers came together and we helped one another get the rice out of the field so that it can thrive and succeed and the industry can continue to thrive and succeed. As far as the historical aspect of it, rice and crawfish are two commodities that originated from the wetlands here in Louisiana. When the Acadians first settled in this area and started to grow rice, they didn't have established rice fields like we do now. They started growing the rice in lowland up against the bayous because it would stay wet a large period of the year. And then the crawfish we would pull out of the bayous and now we have existing ponds. So the two industries that help feed my family come from the wetlands and they wouldn't exist without the wetlands. So as far as that, that care and the, um, the importance it has to me and my community, that's what drives me to be a wetland ambassador and then con to continue to study this in college. I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about that. And it's really cool to know that you are on the precipice of really devoting your life to these issues. You know, all three of you are well on your way to making a big impact in this space. So I can see that from my perspective. But how do you hope to carry what you've learned as ambassadors and about wetlands more generally into your future lives and careers? 
For me, I truly discovered and found my passion while I was a wetland ambassador, and that put me on the path to solidifying my major and degree at LSU. I am studying as a coastal environmental science major, and I truly love every single class that I take and just imagining how I can put these new skills and ideas and statistics into a future career is just inspiring. I would love to work on restoration projects for the coastline, whether for a nonprofit or a public entity, I'm not quite sure yet. But just seeing how my passions can traverse into a career is just truly, I cannot wait. I think that being an ambassador has really taught me a love of educating and putting yourself in the community you're you're helping or, or purporting to help. And I hope that in my career, whether I become a policymaker or a researcher, I hope that I never lose the ability to see myself as a community member. I think it's really important to just stay engaged with the interest of the people that live in an area and to know how to listen as well as teach and, and talk. Something that's really stuck with me as I've learned about the history of Louisiana is that our our actions now do have consequences in the future. The Mississippi River today is very different than it was hundreds of years ago and even decades ago. We've levied the Mississippi River and it's cut our delta off from sediment. And so we've actually changed our river and how it functions. And we're part of the reason why our, our river can't really help us build land anymore like it used to. And so I hope that I keep that in mind when I am prescribing future recommendations to communities, that it's very important to be very cognizant of the impact and the burden we could be putting on to future generations. I had the passion to go into this before, but it was for different reasons. First, I wanted to go work on a refuge somewhere because I could hunt and fish really easily and I'd be around that environment. But now knowing what I learned now, I want to still do that. But for the the fact that I can go out there and I can help rest, restore all this, but more importantly, and what I really want to do is help bring more people to these places so that they can enjoy these experiences. My dream would be to one day either work, work on a refuge somewhere, helping keeping fishing environments and hunting environments open and available for people who want to, or to even go work for a private organization to help keep species up, such as Ducks Unlimited. To be able to go and do this, this would truly be my dream. And I really have the wetland ambassador thing to thank for it and to thank for the knowledge to be able to help me achieve this goal eventually one day. Well, I am inspired by each of your goals and impressed that you have figured out this niche that you want to devote your life to at such a young age. So thank you each for joining me today and for all the work you do advocating for and teaching about wetlands. Thank you for having us, Georgia. This has been so nice. And we all love talking about the wetlands, obviously. So we're all happy to be here. Thank you. I really enjoyed this experience. This is a very unique thing that y'all have going on with this podcast. And I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't listen to it before, but it definitely has my interest now. And I plan to continue to listen to these things for um, hopefully years to come. Thank you. Yes, I totally agree with Branson. This was a thrill. Thank you so much for having us. Well, thank you guys. And I hope you do listen to some of the other episodes. We have lots on wetlands. 
And thank you for our usual listeners for tuning in. As I said at the top of the episode, this episode is in celebration of the National Wetlands Awards, which will be happening in D.C. next week, May 16th. If you would like to attend, you can register to attend the award ceremony either virtually or in person at ELI.org slash events slash 34th annual dash national dash wetlands dash awards dash 2023. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.